Time then. Wednesday, one o'clock. You know what that means. Been off the work. The the revit can wait. It can wait half an hour because we got some juicy tidbits of information. If any of you have been looking at the other side of the table, talking to your client and thinking, maybe I could do that. Well, we'll see if you can. We'll tell you how to get there and you'll learn a few nuggets. Seven seconds. Five. Four. Hello everyone, it's Wednesday. Grab your pret sandwich and strap in. So I've got a fantastic guest here, but you can relax. It's just little old us and a few other people on LinkedIn. And I'm joined here today to share some juicy tidbits of information. So in my recruitment career, in the last company I worked for, I learned from someone how to not just recruit for architects going to other architecture practices, but architects trans positioning or going in the next step of their career, working in a developer, maybe working for a main contractor. This is often called re uh, the client side. I was gonna say something wrong there. So my guest is gonna help me all out with, with this information. So we're gonna get a big round of applause for Mr. Stephen Glantz here. Stephen, welcome to the stage. It's the two Stevens again, we're back. Stephen, Steve, keep it easy. Keeping it easy, the two Stevens. So, Mr. Glanz, Stephen Glanz, can you tell everyone a little bit about us before we jump into the topic of uh, client side, moving to client side away from mainstream architecture? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, we're both recruitment bods, if yeah. that's, that's a phrase. That both we been are. Doing it a while, uh, and we worked together for a number of years, which was really good fun. And we're still mates, and we still chat. Um, and what did I do? So when I worked with you, I, I did the client side stuff and senior stuff in inverted commas. Uh, and you're Mr. Tech and I'm not. Uh, <laughs> and I'm Mr. Market and Commercial and you are a bit. So there you go. That is, that is us. And so, I, I mean, i got to be honest, Steve. So when I joined McDonald's and Company where you work now, it was a learning curve for me, you know, trying to understand what it means client side. What does a developer look for in an architect? And what I noticed, Steve, is that there was a lot of architects who would get tempted by the idea of client side. Grass is always greener thinking, do you know what? I want a slice of the pie. The salaries are allegedly higher, all this stuff. And they kind of embark on this dream, but for, is the grass always greener? Is there a certain type of person, in your opinion, that you think translates well to client side? And we'll talk about the CVs and a few tricks and all that stuff. But typically in your experience, Steve, what kind of architect bodes really well working for a developer? So it's a, it's a big old question, because of course there are lots of different types of roles that developers, which perhaps we can talk about in a bit. I suppose yeah. it is a bit, a bit about the motivation of the person. Um, if money's running motivation, I, I wouldn't bother because it will come across in the interview. Um, in my experience, it's people who have enjoyed design um, yeah. and want to stay close to design, but they don't mind stopping designing. Uh, and they'd actually like to influence from within 
<clears throat> so to become a yeah. commissioning client in some shape or form, or to at least be employed by the commissioning client. Um, and also people that would find it interesting to work with other disciplines. So to work alongside development managers, to work alongside project managers, QSs, uh, you know, accountants, um, yeah. and be that sponge, I guess, and, and get some kind of uh, stimulation out of that, really. So being a different kind of situation and using what you know, but learning mm. new things. Um, it isn't a traditional role usually in terms of operations. So don't expect to go there and manage more and more and more people because, you know, they, they, they don't need you to do that because uh, they've got the external consultant groups where, you know, operational easy people, it's like, yeah, okay, great, we've done well. Promotion, take on more. Promotion, take on more. Kind of thing. So it isn't like that at all. Um, so I think the right people are those who are tuned in to wanting to have a different situation and using what I know to influence from within in, in a good way to commission and manage good design. Very well said, because I've actually seen architects that are for you know what, I want to work in a developer, then gone to development and realize that it's not for them because you are, you're not working on the front line typically anymore doing design and architecture, Steve, isn't it? It's a very different role and some people gravitate towards it and love it, whereas I think some people, it's not for them. So that's the first thing I wanted to clear up because you're right, if it's just for the money, and yes, some of the salaries are higher, but it's, it's a whole different kettle of fish of responsibilities, isn't it? So I have seen people go to there and they thought it, it, it's not for me. Having said that, a lot of people, like you say, who do a lot of coordination, all that good stuff, and you can expand upon it, translate really well into client side. So uh, now I'm always, I always tripped up, Steve, on all the different job titles client side right so you have some housing developers and they'll typically have a technical coordinator or a technical manager i'm thinking of like berkeley homes and st george's and all that stuff and it might be an on-site role and you know someone from an architectural background suits really well there or you get a development manager or you get uh, the one that i would see pop up um uh, a few times is design coordinators now as you've told me and it's ingrained in my brain at one point these job titles can be very different to different companies but typically just to unpack that a bit steve can you expand upon what i've said and what what typical roles you see as an architect transitioning to the developer what what are they and what 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 it can be a good fit Okay, in my head, I'm, I've got three questions to answer, so I'm going to do my best here, all right? Yeah, sorry, so, we can slow down. Yeah. No, you're all right, you're right. Uh, so what was the first thing you talked about? You said people that join and don't like it. Uh, and sort of Yeah, it's, not, it's so, not always the grass always yeah. greener, right? Oh, no, that's the case in anything in life, I guess, isn't it? But um, the point is... Go into it with with some knowledge. Don't go into it naively. Think, oh, it's got to be the, the right thing. My mate did it, and he says, "Great." You know, like um, think about what the remit means. Think about what it's like to work in that environment. It's not going to be like a studio. You're not going to have that studio vibe. Yeah. Um, I mean, strangely, there'd probably be a lot more talking in there, but it might feel more corporate because anything feels corporate compared to a, a studio vibe in most cases, anyway. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to miss designing 
you know, don't do it because there are hardly any developers actually have in-house design teams, very, very few. I mean, the luxury resident developers tend to have a bit because I like to have control over the design and the tradespeople because it's a really refined and expensive product. But yeah. it's rare. So you are very unlikely to be designing. Um, so if you want to be designing, don't leave practice, basically. Um, it's interesting what you said. I mean, most people I know that have gone into class, I just don't look back. But I guess they went into it eyes wide open. Uh, and also a lot mm. of people, I guess, I guess there's already a sort of associate level and above, aren't doing as much designing anyway. They're, they're managing. So yeah, like, true. Look, to be honest, I don't mind leaving design because I'm not actually physically designing. I'm helping others design. I'm steering it. Uh, and I've got these skills that I've evolved, which I quite enjoy. And I might take them client side so I can influence from, from within. Um, mm. On the flip side, you get people that qualify and say, look, I'm just, this is too much of a slog. I'm just, just not going to do this. <laughs> I've, I've seen development. I know people that move to it. I want to do that. And that can work too. You don't have to be, you know, very experienced to go client side. Um, moving on to your second question, I think, which is about job titles. Yeah, so, where you think people, the typical job titles that an architect would be suitable for in the development team. Uh, there's, no, there's no typical. As you pointed out, they mean different things in different places. Uh, yep. The house builders have their sort of typical titles. You more sort of blue chip developers have their typical titles. It don't, you kind of got to look at the content of the job. You can have the title yeah. design manager and you might only be involved stage four onwards. That same job could be called technical manager in another firm or a more junior version would be technical coordinator. You can have yeah. a design manager that's front end, you know, zero to three, planning focus. You can have a design manager that does everything uh, and even commissions the work. Um, so it, it's like the word project manager or associate. Yeah, what does it mean? Yeah. You, you got to yeah, yeah. actually look into what it means in that context. Um, so I guess that probably answers your question. Sort of, there, not answering it kind of way because there isn't an answer to it. Well, uh, you look, did. At the, look at the content. Look at the content of the job. Of the job. I, th I think that makes sense. Just while we're here, if there's anyone that wants to ask us a question, you can at any point during this. Otherwise, I'll keep on going because I want to unpack all this stuff because there's a few juicy nuggets that you taught me, Steve, as well. So the titles aside, right? So when people, I think the, there's a lot of people that uh, the existing CV and portfolio, if we're talking just about the job application process of moving to a developer, it's very different, Steve, isn't it, than uh, sending an application to Heatherwick Studios or Gensler or, or, mm. or, or yeah. somewhere like this. It, it's... So the, in the existing way, when you're an architect, even from the start of your career, the 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 way to go about normally a job application is you send your CV and your portfolio, and it's very visual, especially the portfolio. And you know, early in your career, you focus on the academic work, and then further in your career, you start talking more and more about your professional work. Now, do you think, first of all, that that existing format bodes well when applying for a job in a developer? You can start from that and evolve it, but no. Um, a CV mm. that's targeted on an architecture practice or a creative business would look different uh, to a CV that you're targeting for a main contractor or developer. Um, you've got to draw out certain skill sets that they're looking for. 
Um, that could be to do with the RBA stages they're involved with. It could be to do with where their projects are based because developers are quite localised. Uh, yep. If they've got projects in Westminster and you've done a mega scheme in Saudi, they're just not going to be interested as an example. Uh, if you've done another experience, you need to tell them that. If it's a stage one to three, then you need to talk to them about the planning applications done, feasibility studies, that kind of thing. Um, if it's a technical role, you need to talk to them about your stage four onwards and you need to draw that out. You, you need to talk about how you manage the external consultant groups. Um, you need to talk about the fact you've been out of sight and understand how things get built. Um, and these things need to be in plain view. And I know you've done loads of coaching on this and you're brilliant at, at CV coaching. So it needs to be in plain view. Um, developers are happy to look at images, but not tons of them. Yeah, they're, they're happy to see what's relevant to them. Again, I'll use the Saudi mega project. If you've done a resort in Saudi, Barclay Homes probably won't be interested in that. Um, yeah. They want residential in London, uh, multi-unit, big stuff. Um, so show them what is relevant. It's fine to be creative. You can have a creative document, but you've, you've got to have the punchy, hard skill sets and, and try not to give them the entire history of the project. And once upon a time, this building belonged to such and such. So then when it's a reincarnation, with beautiful, you know, <laughs> given the projects, the location, the value, what you specifically did on that project and then move on because they haven't got time, like a lot of clients, they haven't got time to read it. Uh, and I think there is a temptation sometimes with creatives to go into a big narrative. Um, right. There isn't time on a CV. You just, as you know, Steve, I know you've coached on this. You've got to put the essential information in, in their faces, make sure it's seen, heard, read, uh, and then move on. Yeah, well said. And... Um... Because remember, we used to tease each other a little bit, especially when reviewing CVs on <laughs> what we would. <laughs> now you're fine. Uh, where I'm driving with this, and you're laughing because you know what I'm going to say, is that perhaps, especially in certain roles, because I used to do more junior roles, so I used to be more forgiving of typos and stuff like that. Having said that, you were in charge of senior moves or working on these design you know, uh, managers, so on, so forth, design coordinators. Your clients, Steve, are a lot less forgiving of typos and stuff like that. Is that a fair comment? It's partly them, it's partly me. <laughs> it's partly <laughs> them, yeah. Like you get one shot, right? And yeah. if you make mistakes, people read into those mistakes. Or if there yeah. are, you know, if your formats aren't consistent. They're like, well, is this person a bit all over the place? Are they a daydreamer? Do they not stick with things until they're completed? Yeah. Um, if there are typos, are they a bit slack? But think about it. If you're a client giving instructions in, in the written word, and it doesn't make sense, or a typo means actually an incorrect instruction that they follow, and then it costs millions because they cocked it up. Language. Um, you know, you, you just put yourself in their shoes. You are going to need someone that's good with written content. And it's to a lesser or great degree, depending on the role, but why not get it right to create the yeah. right impression? Yeah, yeah. Well you, well, you know at the moment, so I do a lot of recruitment in-house for EPR architects. I had an applicant who we invited for interview who constantly spelt my name wrong in email, and it didn't bother me. But in the end, in the, the hiring manager was like, I 
don't, I do not like the fact that your name's been said wrong all the time. And it was that mm. little thing which, which kind of cost, cost the interview. But back on track, um, the other thing I want to talk about is portfolio, Steve. Now, from my impression is that the portfolio doesn't always even come up in the interview for a developer compared to, you know, in a typical architecture interview, the format is much more, you have your CV, but you bring your portfolio to the interview, right? And it would be us either digitally, I'm showing you like a Zoom presentation, mm. or I would be going through my portfolio in person with you, Steve, and we'd be talking about the projects and stuff. What is the format like of an interview client side? Is it more face-to-face with your CV there, or, or do some people have the portfolios? Some, but some. doesn't come up much. And that's None. not to say that they're not interested in your work. They will often, because as I said, developers are quite localized. They'll probably know the project that you worked on, and then know whether or not the scheme's working out or has worked out. If it stacks up on development front, if it hits the social value, if it hits sustainability, if it hits the commercials, if it hits occupancy, you know, they kind of get that. Um, do they need to sit through your portfolio? Well, they're not hiring you to sit there and design. They're hiring you to manage the external designers. You know, they know yeah. that you know your design stuff. It's whether or not you can operate in a client environment for the role they've got in mind. So, mm. you know, if they don't ask to see it, don't take offense. They don't really need to see it um, other than knowing what your capabilities are and, and what the outcome of your work has been. Mm, well said. So is do you, do you tend to find that a lot of interviews are online or are they quite in-person, Steve, like developers? No set rule. I mean, you know, we're all naval gays and all crystal ball gays and say, what's the new format going to be post-pandemic, yeah. even though we're still in the pandemic, sort of. Um, and the hybrid setup remains. Uh, yep. Some clients will say, right, let's do the little taster interview for 30 minutes online. That suits me, that suits them. Others will say, look, we just want to meet people straight out. Yep. And then you get the candidates like, oh, I'm not sure I can commit to a face-to-face. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of what they want. Either, so, either take it or not, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's down, it's down to the individual hiring managers and or the day-to-day commitments of, of mm. either side of the fence, frankly, the candidate or the client. So there's no no set rule. Yeah, fair enough. At so, some point, there will be a face-to-face, of course. Uh, everybody wants that now. Both, yeah, because you know, I, I think some also. companies can be quite hands-on. I, I, you know, that's what I've experienced in architecture. And I remember some roles when we were working on together and McDonald Company were quite hands-on as well. But Steve, I've actually got a question from the audience, which oh, was okay. a good question. So Mr. or Mrs. Anonymous on LinkedIn, I'm loving that. So I won't get in trouble, and I'm glad. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. We both done. Are there any uh, further education courses, qualifications that you have found have been useful when qualified architects look to move to a developer side, thinking more weighted towards what a developer might have trained in rather than design-based architectural courses? Are there any courses or stuff like that in mind, Steve? I remember Prince 2 roughly as a qualification that some people have. No, I need to worry about Prince 2. Um, <laughs> so, uh, short answer is no. Um, 
it can help to an MSc in property. Uh, you know, Reading's wow. a good place. Reading University has some good courses, as an example. You should have a look around that. Ooh. It kind of depends on what you're going to do. So you could do a course in real estate, as an example. Yeah. Um, what does that help with? It tells the client that you are trying to commit to this change in direction in your career. Does it help you get the job? Other, other than that, not so much in general. No. Um, it's more of an indicator of intentions. Uh, it might help you because you might feel, okay, well, I get it a little bit more. So it might hit, yeah. you help, hit the ground running a little bit more. Um, yeah, but the only impact on a hiring decision, in my experience at least, is, is that it's an indication of your intentions to, to move into a, a role outside of practice. Right. Okay. Well, there you go, Mr. and Mr. Link, LinkedIn Anonymous. Uh, check Thank out you, the mystery, mystery caller. Coming yeah. If, if anyone else wants to do some mystery questions, please send them through. So, Steve, based upon that, then, so what you've said to me so far is there's a high precedent. So, if you've worked on a large scale residential in the UK, that might be more of a, you'd be more of an ideal suiting to a house, housing builder or like a Barclay Group or something like that, a developer which does you know, large-scale residential. Whereas if you said if you've done like lots of retail in architecture, then you might be more akin to, I remember like Westfield used to do a bit of recruitment and all this stuff. So are you saying rather than the courses, the courses can be useful for personal development, but if we were getting a strategy, like you really wanted to go client-side, is it sensible then to follow your existing experience, Steve, in sectors? Depends which sectors are hot in that time of the market, doesn't it? Really, Steve? Ah, yeah, uh, there you go. Who's 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 investing? Who's building? Um, you know, it could be great one year, it could be awful another year. Uh, so, yeah, it depends on the market. Um, typology or asset class is um, is important, uh, particularly the house builders. You know, they build houses. If you've done senior living, that's still a house. Built to rent, yeah. Still a house. Um, it's scale, really, I suppose, and your level of responsibilities um, is important. I mean, there's so many regs and guidelines with the housing that are constantly changing, so it's kind of important from that perspective. Other things, I mean, it does depend on the client. You know, we've got a lot of clients doing um, labs and innovation parks at the moment, and some of them are saying, look, there aren't that many people that have done labs within development. Um, arena because it's only recently been growing mm. um yeah, relatively recently anyway but they will look at people that have dealt with these shopping center schemes that are effectively mixed use uh, in a lot of cases but that you know it does vary in a hiring client some of them will say it's a prerequisite some won't but there are things that are more transferable than others scale i think is probably more important than typology and mm, there you cases. go but that doesn't mean that they won't necessarily insist on you having a certain kind of asset class uh, under your belt already. That's very interesting. And just to add to you here, because we talked about, so I think you've worked with a lot of developers and, and, you know, main contractors is an interesting one, which I work with less. But actually, Steve, what I was going to say to you now, I see a lot of um, in the digital world as well. So for anyone listening, maybe uh, in addition to real estate, I've got a few clients, especially in the tech area, so like um, prop tech is the word, like property tech, and especially um, BIM 
And I know we used to talk about BIM all the time, and you know where I'm going with this, but I see a lot of uh, BIM coordinators and managers from architectural practices, Steve, who then get picked up by like a company like Microdesk or just being bought out by another company and so on and so forth. And the other arena I see, which is similar, which we both worked in, but slightly different, is the modular world, you know, working in-house in a modular company for the design team on a client side so i mean what's because you've worked a bit like on modular with me and all this stuff what have you learned is there any like juicy nuggets that you learned from during that time or how is it different to a developer the modular world it's a bit more wild west in my experience Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly gonna say. Uh, i don't know but Modular's got to be a good thing going forward because it's about efficiencies and you can find those efficiencies of you know in any shape or form like sustainability and whatnot. Um, yeah. But there's a load of startups out there and even the established ones are still running at a loss because they need to have the factories going all the time. They need a consistent order book. And for a consistent order book, you need a consistent economic climate. And we don't do those. So, <laughs> so it's a bit hard. Uh, so it's really hard. Um, those that make it work, I admire. Um, if you ask me what's different about the careers, it's the manufacturing element, isn't it? Yeah. Um, mm. And frankly speaking, there'll be architects listening to this and know more about that than I do, but fundamentally, that's that's the difference Yeah. Um, for those kind of roles. Um, well, main contractors, I don't really deal with main contractors that much, but I you know, might deal with developers who are a bit of both. Mm. Um, but it's not really my field so much, it's more, more the developers and investors. Well, if, from my point of view, Steve, if if there's like two ways, if you want to transition out of architecture that come to mind, two proper ways, and one is either the digital or BIM rule, okay, and then because you, you can work in a structural company, you can you know work for like we talked about a BIM provider. It could be to do with facilities management, you know, the software on there, lots and lots and lots of stuff. But what's really interesting about your experience is more that traditional um, architecture practice to what the client is, real estate, the developer, typically the person that's you know involved in the project and instructs the architect. But I would say that, especially from what you're saying now, compared to the other arenas we talked about, maybe that's the safer way because maybe that's like, they're tried and tested. There's always going to be these developers. They're always going to do those kind of stuff. It is so. Uh, what, what do you think? What do you, what would if someone's maybe more interested in digital and tech? It's still worth exploring that avenue, right? But who then is the best suited person for a developer? Is it as you say, someone that's managed a lot of projects, or what? What's the ideal person for that match? Because clearly, a BIM manager is not going to be a great fit for your world. It's more like an associate or a job runner, right? Yeah. Well, there's developers do hire BIM people. Um, again, it's more sort of management of the external consultants and spearheading that. And you get sort of like mixed roles where you get like a BIM document controller type person. Yeah. So you can do it. Um, I guess that probably answers the other question because there are all sorts of different people with different mm. skill sets working at developers. Now they, they have fewer 
people, then the consultancy is as a general rule. So yeah. I'm not saying there's tons of jobs out there for everybody, but there are lots of different types of jobs. Yeah. Um, so development managers have to be good with numbers, um, particularly if you're dealing with the early stages, looking at the, uh, the analysis and the viability studies, that kind of thing. So people that don't have feasibilities are good for that. Don't have to be particularly senior, it depends on the role. Um, you need to be pointing in the right direction. And then mm. the, delivery, the delivery stuff, the technical managers, I mean, obviously, you just need your stage four onwards. You could be a technologist, you could be an architect. Yeah. It doesn't really matter if you're qualified, in my experience, it's mostly what you've done and what you know. Yeah. Um, so there's no sort of set CV or career track record that you need. It, it again, depends on, on the role. I got a quick question that popped into my brain. So yeah. if you were, I know, and I'll wind down a bit because I know we haven't got your time forever, but I got two or three more, right? But these are getting good because you know what it's like when, you, when you're halfway into it, they well, start coming to you. I need to strap in for this one, okay, yeah. So if I was a front-end architect, yeah. I reckon a developer is probably looking for a broad range of um, experience. Or maybe if someone's struggling, Steve-O, to get client-side. Sorry, Steve-O is like my nickname because we work together for three years. So I'm allowed Fine. to say that. Mr. Yeah. Glanz. So if if I was someone that hasn't succeeded or maybe I've done a lot of front-end RBA experience, do you think before you approach a developer that you need to get all those RBA stages? Or and do you, or do you think there's any value of working on executive architecture, which is like, you know, the technical either, stages? Either is fine. Totally depends on the role. Yeah. You just yeah. need to know a bit and know what you want out of life, really. Um, so, but what if the yeah. developer says, like, uh, try again in a year or two? What do you think is like one or two checklists that's good to have? Is it um, all ROBA stages? Is like um, a bare minimum? UK projects. UK projects. Unless you want to work in Dubai or something, in, right? In the you locality can... that you want to work in. Yeah. Okay. If you want to work in Fair London, enough. get London projects. If you want to work in Bristol, get Bristol projects. Because I've sold that. I think like, a good example is a large practice like Fosters and Partners will work on amazing international projects, but that does not work really well for a London project, is it? So I used to find that a lot of people getting frustrated with the typology of projects. Mm. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, local knowledge is very valuable to developers, whether that's to do with knowing what the local community wants and how to add social value, or whether it's to do with the planning system or the mm. supply chain, or the contractors. It just, it counts. It, it does counts. count. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, the other juicy question I got in my head, and we can spill the tea here because we're not going to say anyone's names, right, Steve? Or anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't spill your biscuits yet. Oh, I've got a question that's coming. So I'll save mine for one second All because Jeevan. Right. Is message here. Ah, Jeevan, we're going to catch up soon as well. Um, what is the best process to look or find these roles? So what's the process, Steve? So you can contact Stephen Glanz, which I recommend you to. But say no, Steve. Um, remove yourself for a second, but we will get all your contact details in there a bit. But how does one embark on this journey to find these roles? I would actually speak to a recruiter first to see if yeah. one that knows what they're doing, obviously, to to see if they think it's viable for you. Because what if you just make 20, 30 applications and actually you haven't got 
the right project experience for that local market you're applying to, you kind of wasted your time. So it yeah. might be worth it might be worth speaking to a recruiter for, or someone you know in the industry to see you know what they think. If you know a development manager or you know one of your clients who can keep it harsh or something like that, you know, check someone that knows more than you do about it first. And if you're missing something, then go out and get that experience. And after that, usual stuff, you know, network around, speak to who you know, keep an eye out on the adverts, speak to a recruiter. I wouldn't go to loads of recruiters because it just gets messy. But yeah, usual stuff that I think Mr. Drew has talked about. Yeah, I think you've got to be particular with what recruiter actually, because even like me now, I don't really work with developers at the moment. So it's like there's only so much value I can add to them. I have worked with you, but it's about gonna have especially in development, it's all about who who they know. And I think that developers use typically two or three specific recruiters, right, Steve? And you tend to be one of them because you've you've got experience in this area. Well our but, firm does. We're known to them. So it's yeah, yeah, they don't they don't like to spread about too much and be too slapdash about it as, as a general rule. Yeah. Fair enough. So, Jeevan, you should drop Steve a message after this, hundred um, percent. If you if you want to get a bit more information on that, so Steve, so typical job approach there. You're going to look at a few job boards and all this stuff. You're going to have a look around. I mean, the first, it makes sense to me to keep an eye on those um, developers and on an eye on their website. But not all roles are advertised. It's something like thirty percent of roles in life are advertised. So it's good to speak to. Um, someone that's familiar in the sector. Now, let's pretend they're, we're halfway through the process, Steve, right? I touched upon it earlier with typos. I touched upon all this stuff. But what the tea, that the juicy goss that I want to learn is mistakes you've seen people make that could cost them the job and so that people know not to make them. It can be very simple. They can be complicated, but what mistakes should people avoid? Um, overbidding for a pay increase because you think developers are loaded. Ah, um, yes. It's, That's... It, you know, look, there are market conditions where some people do get big pay increases. It's, it's more common, in my experience, to get a modest pay increase if you're coming straight from practice. And the reason there's a good reason for that. They want to create something that's appealing for you to join them. But you've never worked for a developer. You're transitioning. Yeah. They have to spend time assisting you to bring you up to speed. And yeah, okay, you've got two-thirds of the job. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been interviewed. You wouldn't have been offered the job. But the other third, they've got to train you on and teach you on. And that's, that time is money. Um, and also, the fact you haven't done it before is a risk. What if you don't like development? What if you don't rise to the challenge? So they're taking a risk with you. You're taking a risk with them. So to repay your risk and to attract you, they give you a bit of an increase, decent salary, decent bonus system. Um, and to repay them for taking you on, you're not going to ask for a 50% increase because it's ludicrous and you will not get the job. Yeah, I remember that a lot. I remember like successful architects going, I want 90 grand to work for a developer. And I yeah. remember being like, well, me too, but that's not real life, isn't the, it? The point is get yourself in the driving seat. Get to yes. the developer, you know. Just yeah. don't get ahead of yourself with salaries, in my opinion. Fair that's enough. The, that's the main thing. So, accuracy and on the CVs, 
explaining your role and responsibilities without waffling. So who, what, where, when, why, what you did, what what size was the project, what stages were you involved? So that's the good stuff, right? We don't want waffling. We don't want meandering. I love to meander the who, what, where, the star and the, and the sky. So I right? got anything done, Steve, but yeah. yeah. I would, maybe I wouldn't work well in a developer, right? But we're going to keep it on point in the CV. You're saying as well, be modest with the starting salary because you've got to be, you, there's a whole Just new world that you've got to be. Realistic, yeah. I think. You know, get an improvement, but don't go to them as if they owe you something. Got it. Okay. And if I'm looking around for you, there'd probably be a few job boards. It's worth speaking to one or two people in the industry that know a few things. All right, last juicy nugget. Is there any other mistakes that you've seen people make in the process? Hmm. Well, yes, I suppose. I just tried to record that. Um, I don't know really, Steve. That's probably... The, I, I think there's... I, I've got one. Or, or, I've got, or not getting to the point, I suppose, in the interview, really. Yeah. It's just like an interview. If you don't... If you interview, like, and go in and talk through your portfolio and don't stop talking about your design skills, they'll wonder why you came in because you're not actually pitching for the job. You're just telling them about your design skills and your portfolio. They actually want to hear about you as a person, about your skill set and why you want the job, why you give for the job. So don't yeah. go in to make a presentation. Go in to pitch for the job and learn more from them and engage with them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always, when I've had more of the junior architects roles going to developer, they want someone that's hand-on, he or she is going to just like muck in or they, you know, get get stuck in, be available, learn and give it 110%, no ego, someone that's, you know, prepared to kind of make that transition. So fair enough, fair enough. So this is probably the last chance saloon for any more questions in the audience. There is no such thing as a silly question. And I've probably asked six of them if there were such a thing as a silly question. So last chance saloon questions then. What I was going to say to you, Steve, now is what, so time of recording this is, um, I have to look, it's October 2022. Um, is there any trends you've seen this year, Steve, in terms of hiring developers, hiring architects practices? Has it kind of calmed down a bit now? Was it busy this year? Can you give us a bit of the seasonality of what it's like in London at the moment, in the role that you're doing, hiring architects and getting them working for developers? Yeah, well, as you know, I mean, the economy bounced back seriously rapidly uh, yeah. after COVID. I think it was the, the fastest growth economy experience for a very, very long time. So, yes, the developers were busy, just like the, the practices. Um, we still remain busy, which is good. I mean, I'm frankly speaking uh, surprised given the backdrop of everything that's going on. I mean, you know, the government for, for, for a start, um, the energy, the energy prices, the war, you know, the value of our currency now was an interesting one. That sort of bounced back a little bit after the recent announcement in the last 48 hours. But, you know, it's it's going to become very hard to make money out of the scheme. So it depends how long-term the investors, and that could be the developer, it could be something else, the investors are in their outlook. So some of the very large schemes like, you know, 
innovation campuses, that kind of thing, seem to be chugging along. And let's bear in mind, developers can still plan this stuff um, commercially um, while it's too expensive to necessarily build it because um, their investors will be looking at it long term. Yeah. And also, they might be getting their money out of the knowledge economy. You know, so If it's universities, they're in it to get some money from the knowledge economy, which apparently is worth uh, £10 for every pound you put in, some statistician once said. Ooh. How on earth they work out, I don't know. Um, so short of it is, we remain busy. Uh, it will likely change. Um, yeah. Unless something incredible happens. How much, I don't know. Uh, really, um, in terms of the, the sort of bits of busy build to rent, still seems to be pretty good. Student housing's pretty good. Science, pretty good. I mean, what do you reckon, Steve? What have you said? I mean, hospitality has been good, but then those buildings take a lot of energy. So we'll have to see what happens with that as well. And when yeah. people have less money after paying their energy bills, whether or not going to be staying at hotels. But what, what do you think, Steve? I think um, data centers is still growing, and I can see. Uh, well, actually, I know of one of one of our old clients actually that's moved from a practicing architecture to the data center team. And okay, it's not the most glamorous sector, however, it's incredibly important. We're using computers more and more, Steve. Right? You know, phone is that. It's not going away. It's quite reliable, and mm. and it's lucrative. Uh, like you said, I I, I tack that on the end because you know you've got to actually want to be in this sector, and it's not for everyone. Um, having said that, it's pretty cool to kind of like how do you get a massive data center in the Alps, snowy environments? So it's a really cool sector in some yeah, ways. Hydroelectric power, probably, Steve. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you, you can use the melting glasses for it. There you go. There um, you go. Yeah, that no, was an interesting one, data center one. It's, I mean, we we work with. Um, them on the client side, but I'm sort of data center firms. We actually have a data center team. No, oh, there you go. Well, so that's all changed since I've gone now, isn't it? It's <laughs> more... <laughs> we moved on to, moved on to. Um, <laughs> it, um, it's good, but what's interesting is that this country isn't generating enough power or storing enough power, and they are now holding back developments in West London, I think, because uh, yep. data centers are using up too much power and having enough power to supply new housing estates. So you've got to ask yourself, especially given the energy crisis, where are the data centers going to get the power from, and can they lobby the government to sort out our energy policy? Oh, well, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. This, they require a lot of power, Steve. Get them lobbying, Steve, and get them to work out how to store energy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty crazy time. I'm glad you mentioned the budget, because even me and my business, because I've got I use one or two services which are in dollars, and, and I just got crucified. So I'm, I'm glad it would bounce back. And actually, I had a transatlantic client, an architecture practice, comment about, are we worried about the pound? And my answer was, I think there's so many other things well, on top of the, the we're value so of the pound. we worried about everything that we stop worrying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're just going to carry on and do our jobs. It's quite yeah. low on the pecking order after heating oh, and mortgages and, and, and all this stuff. But It is bonkers, isn't it? It is so bonkers. He's just like, well, okay. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, I, I always, um, oh, one of the thumbnails of this, I found like a, a chap in suit, a suit 
on the thumbnail of this video throwing money into the air and it was kind of like a little prod on the subject because i do think people immediately think of oh developers that will solve my problem i'm gonna get paid real money but the reality is if you if you if you're not interested in the job a you can't walk into it because you know it's a rigorous interview process and that client is gonna want to make sure that you are the right person for the role but also then you've got to want to do it, isn't it? And there is high stakes and it is stressful as are every job. It's not a cakewalk. So grass is always green there. But hopefully people have picked up a few things from this, Steve. I'm going to put your contact details here now um, where people can get in touch with you because LinkedIn's not going away as long as the data centers keep getting the electricity like we talked about. <laughs> so we can, people can get you off over LinkedIn, but they can also message you if your email is still the same, which is sglands, G-L-A-N-D-S, at mcdonaldandcompany.com. And for our audio listeners, that's macdonaldandcompany.com. It's not MC Donald, although we were above a McDonald's. So I always... McDonald's company above McDonald's still are at the moment, actually. Yeah, there we go. But, um, what was I going to say? Just before we go, is there any like questions you want to throw back to me live that unprepared about maybe what I've been up to this year or trends or maybe what I predict yeah, on the Absolutely. Arctic side? Yeah, yeah, all of that, please, Steve. Which one do you want first? <laughs> what do you predict? Trends? Where the business I've... is? I predict, well, let's talk about client side. I predict it'll always be Arctic, so still one client side. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll expand upon the bit that I alluded to. I think prop tech still going bigger. And yeah. everyone that I know, because there was Matter Labs and a few others, so I know a few entrepreneurial BIM managers, BIM coordinators go into this space, and they've gone bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, there's companies, you know, which are doing amazing computational stuff, and they're actually going at such a speed and, and growth that it's an expanding space. So Microdesk, who I used to work with years ago, were bought up by a large digital construction company. So all these, it's like the Microsoft in the old days, right, Steve? You know, like Microsoft used to go around like Windows and buying all these companies and, and just plugging it into their system. I see that ex space expanding more. So if anyone that's quite good and in, especially in, in BIM or digital coordination, our digital project managers, I think is going to be a big thing in that space as well. Mm. So project management of digital assets and all that jazz is um, seriously there. I mean, there's a few clients I know are looking in that space now. It's niche, but I think it's going to grow. So that's, right. yeah. that's what I see happening next year. Um, and I'll, I float around that space because I quite like, I'm a bit of a geek myself, and I? So I like chatting to the geeks about it. It works. You know? we've, always, we've always dovetailed very well, haven't we? Yeah. Well, that's it. I, I know that's... nothing about this stuff, you see, so. <laughs> you, there's only, you only need one geek in the team. We always work well together, whether it's at the same firm or, or outside. It's, it's always worked, isn't it? Well, that's it. So I think it's good. 2023, the year of the digital property geeks let's watch that space alas any other question before we go steve what what typologies are you backing for the next 18 months strong ones a lot of the work oh i can talk about epr as well because i work there now so residential strong mm -hmm. retail bounce back commercial seems really strong as well 
retail and um, res- residential commercial say less about retail um what else do i think is strong data centers i really do mm. i but this could be just me though because it's little old me by myself i've not done as much work with the modular builders but i think that's still there but like you say i feel I, I, wild west is not the term i'm gonna use but what i think is um there's going to be a lot of people failing and there's going to be a few successes it reminds me of the www dot the the, the worldwide web bubble, bubble you know amazon's big but there were so many amazon clones that failed steve and i think that's modular builders right now you know so I think a few of them will be big and they'll be the guys and they'll have the factories, but there's going to be a lot of uh, the the not so successful ones. Mm -hmm. What other things do I predict? What have I seen pop up? Ah, um, less specific to this, but I think that architecture has a little bit of a midlife crisis at the moment. The old model of... um, costs to study architecture it's basically like between 70,000 to 100,000 pounds especially to study architecture five year course Dave you know once you you know that's 50 grand you've got you know all all your courses and you've got your year out and you've got your living accommodations all that stuff I I think with universities it's very expensive so what I was going to say is I think we're going to see a lot more architectural apprentices brought into the industry and that will be interesting to see in the next 10 to 15 years as you talked about you know it's an architectural assistant you know and then people come architects and then they, you've got architectural technicians technologists i think architectural architects from becoming an architectural apprentice is going to be extremely valuable oh, i think that'll be really good because yeah. yeah i mean you know sandwich courses are great aren't they when people get year in industry I, yep. th- I think it's absolutely invaluable, and I think that's a brilliant way of doing it. And given the cost you're talking about, I mean, I suppose you just have to think about it to make to make sense of it. But that is extraordinary. And let's face it, it's not the highest paid job in the world. You know, everyone knows that we feel architects should be paid more, and it's hard. It's hard life. Um, so I think that apprenticeship scheme or idea is a brilliant one to encourage new people to join the industry for a start and make it actually doable. But also because I think of the skills they pick up along the way. So I think, I think it's a really good idea, Steve. There you go. Well, that's my theory. So we'll see if I eat my hat metaphorically or that comes true. Hopefully there's more architectural apprentices. And let's hope that data centers continue to grow because we're all downloading too much at home and stuff. But I hope that's been useful. So we've covered loosely, because it's always an organic chat here, a few things around how to transition from a traditional architect practicing traditional design to working client side. We've picked Mr. Glanz's brains, especially in the world of development and real estate, on how to make that transition. We talked about the mistakes on the CVs. We talked about a little bit about the interview process, the job titles, and how to go about it. So hopefully that gives you an inkling on what's involved. If you're chasing the money, if the thumbnail that I put on here has got you all excited, well, money comes once you've gained that experience and responsibility. And don't aim for the big bucks, as Stephen said, at the start because people are going to train you up right you can't rock in at 80 70 80k that would be nice but unfortunately that's not the case 
Thank you so much, Stephen. And I look forward to doing another talk soon. And thank, thank you, you to the audience for tuning in and the questions. But I'm going to end the live stream now. Thank you all. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.